Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of The Process and The Athletic, subscribe now for 25% off at theathletic.com slash RTRS on the show today. Oh, it's a big one. The Sixers are 30 and 25 at the All-Star break with uh, two guys playing this weekend over the All-Star break. Well, two last, three last night. I'm sorry, three last night and then one on Sunday. And one tonight? Is it one tonight? Just Embiid, right? Yeah. Embiid's the only one doing skills challenge, right? Uh, we will grade the team, talk about how the second season may go. Got to talk about TJ's triple-double and the win over the Heat without Embiid and the Clippers game that we both forgot about. Um, want to mention a very popular podcast that screwed up explaining the process this week, much to my chagrin. And we will have Derek Bodner of theathletic.com slash RTRS on to talk about <laughs> his, uh, his Markel Fultz story this week. So, uh, that's all I got. Without further ado, here is Run the Jewels. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I am Spike Eskin, along with a man who gets 25% off everything with or without a promo code or a special website. That is Mike Levin. Hi, Mike. Hi, Spike. How you What's doing? it like getting 25% off everything? Oh, man. It's great and definitely true. Ever since you, uh, ever since you won the Super Bowl, it's, it's been like that. Not That's only right. do you not pay People for a drink. People are just buying me beers everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the um you know norm i forgot to write uh what we should start off with this week i guess like the top story is 30 and 25 at the all-star break a couple games out of the four seed and them not only streaking into the all-star break with 10 straight at home but that final win being without Embiid and a, a huge comeback i thought may have been in, in a lot of ways, the like the game of the year, like the statement game of the year, and it came without Embiid. So um, I don't know. It, twenty three win prediction is not looking good. I did not predict they'd win. I did not predict twenty three wins. I think I predicted thirty seven. But here's what I said. Here here was like the tough part about it. I basically said there were, there are two outcomes. There's a an outcome in which Embiid is, and we'll get to this obviously, but there's an outcome in which Embiid is healthy all year, and there's an outcome in which he's not. And I was trying to split the difference. And um, you know, we will get into why they have been so good. I think there's probably three three standout reasons. But uh, the fact that they're going into the All Star break, even given the fact that he missed Wednesday's game, with him playing two back to backs in a week, and then planning on playing. And we'll talk about this as well. Planning on doing all three events in the all three nights in the All Star Game is yes. is unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think even in our, I'm, I'm still on in a lot of ways waiting for the the other shoe to drop in terms of uh, his health. I, I know that's like the wrong way to live, but that's how I feel all the time. But yeah. it's uh, it's, it's pretty bad. incredible. It's, it's bad that we still feel that way. I I feel like uh, occasionally. 
Okay, so this is obviously the reference is uh, something people know less than the podcast. Uh, the film Fault in Their Stars. Fault in Our ah, Stars. A screen written by uh, Mike Weber, the Spike That's Lee right. of the Right Streaky Sanchez podcast. That's yep. correct. I, I do feel a little bit like, uh, unbeknownst to us, Embiid has terminal something. And <laughs> they're just awful. letting him live his life until... <laughs> <laughs> until it all goes away. It's so uh, awful. That's like the terrible. worst it's thing te- you've ever no, said. It's a, it's a terrible thing to think. I don't want to think it. But right. I, I'm just wait. It's it's too many good things are happening right now, and I, I have to be waiting for the other thing to happen. Well, I, I mean, know, but they haven't. But they haven't. Uh, the Sixers have not lost since uh, since I unpinned the tweet. Ah, right. Page. The uh, the imagine enjoying a sport in Philadelphia tweet. The well. You could argue that the the bad thing that's happening, or, or like the bad thing that you're waiting to happen, is currently happening. But the Sixers yeah. are playing so well that it's distracting as much attention as we're putting on the faults thing. One could argue that that is. I mean, imagine. Yeah. Okay, they're thirty. They're thirty and twenty-five. Imagine if they're. I don't know if they have 22 wins instead of 30 wins. All of a sudden, that story seems a lot worse. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, the fact that the Eagles won the Super Bowl and the fact that the Sixers are good and Embiid is healthy and playing back to backs, and even though people keep on any broadcast keep mentioning minutes restrictions and lack of practice, and the fact that Ben is already incredible without a jump shot and this good at defense and Dario's three point shooting, and I mean, it's it's great, but still. That might not be enough for how good I feel. I don't know. I just go it's waves it's waves of it's waves of excitement and uh panic and depression and well, being happier about this team than I've ever been happier about anything. So it just it's just it's a roller coaster, man. That's what it's like. Well, let it be known that you that Mike Levin is the one who wished uh rushed death upon Jerry Colangelo and thinks that Joel Embiid has a terminal disease they haven't told us about. I don't, I <laughs> Everyone don't support. dies. Jerry Colangelo is older. <laughs> I see nothing wrong with anything. Oh boy, you're the worst. No matter no matter how many how much money you donate to Republicans, you die anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> the same the same would I mean I, I think the same could be said about those who don't donate to Republicans or also die anyway yeah, too. True yeah. enough. Um, all right, <clears throat> on to the Willie Green. Glad, five glad to clear that up. <laughs> the uh, Willie Green five star Apple Podcast review of the week. We are at one thousand three hundred ten five star reviews. Looking for two thousand, so I can do another podcast where I read a thousand of them. This one comes from Barnaby Jones sixty nine sixty nine. The subject line is waste of my data every week. Spike and Mike are the two most insufferable personalities in sports. I literally hate everything about them, from their arrogant and predictable hot takes to their vexatious voices. Heck, even their physical appearances cause me physical pain. The fact that Howard gifted Spike such a prestigious position in Philadelphia media irritates me to my very core. What kind of example are we setting for our children when we let such blatant nepotism run amok in a prestigious industry like local radio? And don't get me started on that stereotypical L.A. hipster slash social justice warrior Mike. If he would just invest a sliver of effort into fixing his microphone instead of pushing Nancy Pelosi's 
sociologic sociologist event he probably agenda, means socialist socialist agenda 24 7 maybe his voice wouldn't sound like an underwater banshee putting its limbs through a wood chipper how these two uh, troglodytes have such a rudimentary grasp of basketball were able to garner enough interest from the local simpletons to grow this podcast into one of the largest on the planet is a question that will perplex historians for a millennia to come that being said I find this a very informative and enjoyable podcast. Five stars. There we go. Uh, I would also like to point out, and uh, I'm I'm trying to see if I can take legal action. We might have to call Cornblow, that Andrew Sharp introduced on Open Floor this week that he will be reading an Apple podcast review every week Mm. on the podcast. I actually Uh, like that. You like that? Because because it will make his podcast worse. (laughs) <laughs> Although I did like that review, that was a good review. That was. A I good like review. the mean. I like the mean ones more. It was a little long, but I like the mean ones more. Yeah, yeah. If you could keep them to two or three sentences, mean, and then also have five stars, I'm totally good with it. That'd be great. That'd be great. All right, Sixers at thirty. Uh, here's what we got on the show. As I mentioned, Sixers at the All Star break. We got to talk the Bellinelli signing, the Rookie of the Year race, which. Um, like every rookie of the year and number one draft pick race has to become a race, even if it isn't. Um, and Bede playing in all three, playing in all three nights at the All Star break. The games this week. Wanted to talk about Reply All doing the Trust the Process episode. Um, geez, we have Bodner on. There's a lot of stuff. So why don't we talk about being 30 and 25? No, the first no. thing we're going to talk about is T.J. McConnell getting a triple double okay. in an NBA game. All right, off the bench, by the way, uh, off- and. The bench. By the way, a sort of a salute in a lot of ways to Andre Iguodala getting the Iguodala triple double. That's right. It just barely, just barely um, double digits on all of them, and then having a fourth category, which he was in striking distance of yeah. double figures as well with steals. That was so much fun. Uh, every time out, and Bead coming up to him and being like, "All right, here's how many you have left to get." <laughs> right, and being right, very right. invested in it and taking it very seriously was so much fun, and the crowd t- chanting TJ afterwards. I wish I I got like tremendous chills. I wish I was there. I'm so happy for him. I love how much the team loves him. Marco Bellinelli in his first game is like giving him like huge hugs. It's like you don't even know anybody's name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, him getting it's, doused it with chocolate milk and yes. water. Yeah. Did you see? So you saw the video where he like he gave Brian Colangelo a big like, we know each other hug. Like, yeah, we're boys. I wonder what that was about. I wonder. I I just can't imagine a conversation between TJ and Brian Colangelo. No, they they don't seem like similar like birds of a feather. I guess. No. I I wouldn't say. Maybe he was just so happy he wanted to hug everybody. You know. Maybe yeah. I don't. I don't. He yeah. he seemed. It, it was funny to watch his. Or, or wait, sorry, was that was that a you're gonna have to pay me this summer hug? Is that what that was? Maybe that was. Yeah, I like maybe, that. Maybe I like he that. was reminding him. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't spend too much getting this suit dry cleaned because you're gonna need to use that money on me. Exactly. Uh, he, uh, I did like too how TJ paints himself as a, you know, the triple double doesn't matter guy. And but still was pretty fired up that he got a triple double. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, (laughs) he was hunting after that thing. Yeah, it was. That was so uh, much fun. It was. It was great. The fact that it comes against the Knicks and he destroys the Knicks is great. And I'd say that my favorite 
My favorite change in TJ this year is not actually his improved play. It is the the fact that he's he was look he was always an intense player, but he's mm-hmm. definitely become a maniac in some yeah. games. <laughs> like yeah. like like he has rabies or something. He's crazy, um, or he's you know he's not a zombie movie, but the zombie movie like World War Z or uh, Twenty Eight Days Later, where they're like infected and insane sure. sort sure. of zombies. So. That that is my favorite thing, and I'll say you say that you were getting chills. We had so there was the triple double, and then he had the appearance at the watch place. Uh, the time after time watches the next day. Oh, and that was so, the next day. Wow, it was the next day. Yeah. So you guys so, talked to him about it. Uh, well, so he. The best part is like I I almost felt like I feel like they're all my children to a certain sure. extent, but sure. here's this watch place, right? It was it it's at um. It's at the Bellevue Hotel, so it's right in Center City. And it was at 5 o'clock, which is not a super easy time for anybody to get anywhere because if they, first of all, traffic around there is terrible at that time. And if you get out of work at 5 o'clock, how are you getting to this place? So before TJ even gets up there, there's like 150 people lined up in the Bellevue Hotel, like all the way out the door. I have to create a break in the line so people that work there can get through. And I see him taking pictures with everyone, and I got a little like, like, wow, look at this. Like, here is this guy who uh, I didn't think was going to make the team. And th- this is the same story all the time, but I didn't think was going to make the team. Certainly didn't think would be ever be a difference maker like he is now. And he got a triple-double last night, and now there's hundreds of people waiting to meet him in line with, you know— not just their Sixers stuff to sign, but since there were enough of our people there, like here's this custom poster I made of you, um, you know, of one of your tweets or wow. or a process over your eyes or, you know, all that stuff. It was just, it was really cool to see. I feel good for him. You know, I feel he, happy. For I him. mean, it was very fun. He One thing I love that he does, he, he talked about it on, on our podcast also was uh, he's speaks, speaking very frankly about the 10 win season. Which yeah. was his rookie season. Yeah, it's always it's always very endearing. Where I like almost want to defend the team a little bit when he like shits on him. He's like, "Yeah, we should yeah. have been better." It's like, well, uh, you know, Chris Johnson was a was it could have had a chance as a lefty three point shooter, and you know, you got to give James Dunley a shot. Like, why not? He if he if he can work on his body enough, like those kind. Of, like, yeah, like TJ. Let me tell you about opportunity cost because the <laughs> thing is, the, well, and 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 you know, it's it is interesting too because. Uh, T.J. McConnell doesn't happen if teams like that don't happen, you know, yeah. like, uh, which I'm sure he understands on an intellectual level, but as a person going through a 10-win season must be fucking horrible, you know, so. Yeah, that last rebound was so good. Just him, like, yeah. it came, it came, it was, Allah was talking about, okay, where's he going to get the last rebound as the ball gets shot? It was uh, Luke Cornett taking taking a three, and I could, you could, I wish you could just zoom in on TJ's eyes that whole play. He, <laughs> they get so big, and he's like, "I'm getting it, I'm getting it," and he just jumps like as high as he's ever jumped, and just pulls it down. And, and then bench going nuts. It was, I love this team, man. They're a really, really charming team. Do you think, uh, do you think TJ should be sixth man, a sixth man candidate? Uh, well, Lou Williams is starting now, right? Mostly, is is he no longer a six man candidate? Oh, is he starting? Um, sometimes he, he, I, he didn't start against Sixers. Right. Um, I mean, Lou Williams will win it if, yeah, that's true. If he's considered, but 
the Maybe fact at least that, like a top a top five, like a final vote getter situation. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see votes. We'll definitely see votes. I mean, okay. I imagine if all things are fair, Jamal Crawford wins, but it'll be cool to see if TJ comes in third <laughs> behind Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams. Just a Jamal, Jamal Crawford. Crawford wins it every year joke. Permanent, um, permanent win, yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, it'll he'll get votes. He'll definitely get votes. That'd be and, fun. Yeah. And I think if it was voted on by the players, he would get more. He, You know, it would definitely be Lou That's Williams true. and TJ because yeah. players love bucket getters and players respect people like TJ. So, yeah. I, um, I love him, man. And Ala brought up the JJ podcast. Didn't mention the Red Streaky Sanchez, but you know he's heard it because obviously Celeste, his wife, is a big fan. And yeah, we appreciate she, that. She's made him very aware of it. And. Let me also be clear that Allah calls, um, Allah makes references to Covington's nickname being Rock, which is, uh, which is certainly a rights to Ricky Sanchez mention. Like sure, it's, sure. it's gotten into the. There are people that call him that that probably I'm sure have no idea why, but you know Allah is very aware. I don't think Allah listens, but I, he's definitely very aware. I'm sure. My guess would be Celeste leaves him notes like <laughs> Saturday <laughs> afternoons. Great. <laughs> right. All right, so 30, 30 and 25, overperforming mm-hmm. a little bit, although to some extent underperforming because of how many blown leads they've had, you know? Well, it's sort uh, of, that's sort of the bit, you know? That's, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think it all evens out. You know, I, well, go ahead. You go, you go. But I mean, I, the, the, the biggest thing to me, because I mean, aside from Ben's defense, which we've talked about a lot, because I, I'm consistently impressed by it and, uh, I'm not even going to say once the other thing comes along, like we will have something truly special, but, uh, it's really, it's really Dario for me. Like it, the, the fact that Fultz has been out and has been, uh, really left a hole in, in this offense. Um, not that Dario gives you the exact same thing, but the fact that he's been able to stretch the floor while also being, being a good passer and a good rebounder, uh, and holding his own enough on defense, um, but it, becoming like a tr- tr- like he's sh- his shooting, he's shooting forty five thirty nine ninety two this year. Is that what it was? Uh, forty five thirty nine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 He's forty five thirty nine ninety. Whatever it was. Yeah. Which is in, which is insane. Which is insane that that's that's where he's at. Like he's one of the best free throw shooters in the league. He wasn't very recently ago like when he was shooting when he was playing overseas i remember everybody's updates about like the, sh- the jumpers coming along it looks better but like he was in the high 20s from deep the foul shooting was like 70 something it was like yeah there's something there but him becoming I, it's un- almost unpre- almost unheard of that that he's gotten this good at shooting and this consistent and this clean of a release uh when he steps into something it's almost always going in. And a and quick release. Uh, you uh, yeah. know, or at, le- at least f- at least fast in, in terms of his decision-making. And maybe I'm saying this because the the shots are going in, right? Because that, that changes everything. But watching him in the... And I, I know the, um, the Rising Stars game is what it is. But uh, he is so... When he's not flumpy-clumping or whatever... He is so natural, it seems like, shooting the ball. And he's mm-hmm. almost bucket-gettery in, in how he plays now. Um, he, his confidence level seems 
pr- like pretty off the charts. Like he definitely knows what what he's doing, but he's he is confident shooting at any spot, like whether it's the 17 footer, like just beyond the free throw line, or whether it's the three point shooter, and he he steps into it, and the, his you know his form even is pr- is pretty consistent when he shoots. Like you don't see a ton of times where he's not squared up when he's shooting it. Yeah, I've been. He's certainly one of the I, I have like three things that I, I think are the most important, but his his development and adjustment to playing with who he's playing with and sort of adjusting his game because of it and rise has been the like a huge shock to me and it is one of the reasons they're as good as they are. And it it really does make you think if if Fultz is playing this whole time, um, you know, Sarge is not in the starting lineup. Um I think pretty, if, if, if Fultz is normal Fultz, Sarge is not in the starting lineup, and it makes you wonder if he has the same impact if he hadn't been given this opportunity to play. Because everybody's better when they're playing with Embiid, and I think it, it makes everyone better. And this mm-hmm. opportunity to play with the starters and play with Embiid more and play with Simmons more, I think has helped his game. Um, so if there's a, a positive that has come out of the Fultz thing, I think that might be one of them. I love that spin. I love saying this is actually better in the long term. <laughs> well, look, if Volts never remembers how to shoot, then uh, it won't be. But I think at least for now, I, I think that's one thing that you can look at. I think, the, I think to me it is Embiid's health, the fact that he's been, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously because he's been great, but because he's been healthy has allowed him to be great on a more consistent basis. And Simmons... Uh, his defense and his overall game, I think, have just been... And I would actually argue that Fultz not being there has helped Simmons as well because there is there has been... No, one of the things in the beginning of the year that I was um, nervous about, I think, was having two guys who have historically... have, have wanted to dominate the ball. You know, I, I think we were confident that Fultz could play off ball, but being honest... You know, there would have been a little bit of take turnsy stuff going on. Yeah, and which, which happens with TJ a little bit. Yes, it definitely does. And I, you know, I think TJ is probably out to prove a little bit less than Fultz would be. You know, like I just I think that if those two guys, you know, when you're watching Harden and Paul, here are two guys who are very comfortable in their place in the world, and um, and are, you know, Chris Paul definitely comfortable at this point in saying, okay, James Harden, you take this possession. And uh, and I'm not sure that a 19-year-old and Simmons would have been so easy in doing that. So mm-hmm. I think this has allowed Simmons in a lot of ways to, uh, ha- you know, the more reps he gets handling the ball and running an offense, the better he's going to be. Um, and for all that Fultz would have brought us in a shot creation uh you know, capacity, I think not having him has given Ben Simmons the ability to grow faster. And his defense, of course, I think, has been the other thing. So those yeah, are the th- I, and Dario. I'm now I'm now at a point I've been totally convinced that Fultz missed this year to benefit everybody else in the team. <laughs> it is good for Dario and it's good for Ben. Good for TJ. We wouldn't have gotten this TJ triple double if Fultz was playing. I think it's good. I think it's a good across the board. I'm done. End of end of segment. I do want to say, uh, Dario, just watching him last night because we'll get to the Rising Stars game later. But 
I have I just have such a deep well of love for this guy. Like I've never I look at him and I just start laughing. And it's not because although he is a little f- silly looking, it's part of that. But just his his general demeanor and everything we've been through with him and the hair and his post-game interviews with Molly. I I just I I obviously love a ton of these Sixers cuz they're a fun team and it feels I, I don't think any fan base has earned a fun team more than we have. But <laughs> Dario specifically is is just uh I'm in love with him. I, I he's he's perfect. He's the perfect weird foil yes. to everybody else. On well, he doesn't team. Yeah, he Here's what I will say about Dario because you could say that he seems so puzzled by everything that is <laughs> really silly does. about this, he right? Really, he really does. And you could make the argument that you're saying like that I'm saying, well, I'm making fun of like the language thing. But I would say that even if Dario, if his first language was English, would still have the he's always like literally scratching his head when he's talking about <laughs> how weird it is. And he would be doing the same thing, yeah. you know, like with or without the 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 language barrier and the accent. I think he would still be so puzzled by fucking yeah. and bead and te- like all of this stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So before we call, we got to call Derek, who is in L.A. for the All-Star Game festivities. What the hell? Uh, Come yeah. over, Derek. Pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Jeez. I'm surprised you guys aren't doing this. He could have just done this in your house. Yeah. Come here. Uh, let's talk about our sponsor, the official law firm of the process, Cornblow and Cornblow. That is Adam Cornblow, and not just official law firm of the process, but the official personal injury law firm of the process. All sorts of personal injury, from injured at work to medical malpractice, which is actually their specialty, slip and fall, all that. When I was at the uh, appearance with TJ the other night, a guy came up to me and he was like, "Hey," he goes. I love that Cornblow sponsors the podcast. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, I said that I loved it too. Why? And he was like, I know Adam a little bit. I just love hearing his name on the podcast. Great, Great. guy. Here's Great. my card. Great. So, yeah. It is and funny then, how how quickly he was sucked up into the uh, into process lexicon. It was. And you know what? I th- I think I'll give you credit on that. Your obsession with his name and the very first commercial we ever did for him. I think. I think really made it happen, you know. Well, it was a real it shock it... to the system. All of a sudden, yes. all the, all those cornblows in a row. Yep. He uh, and the other thing that happened. This was funny too. Um, there was a uh, a dog bed company that uh, called that. Big I'm... yeah called Big Barker. Who one of the representatives got interviewed by Philly Mag and said, "Hey, what podcast are you listening to right now?" And he mentioned Rights to Ricky Sanchez, so thank you for saying the name. But said on on Twitter, "My goal is to be the next Cornblow of Rights to Ricky Sanchez," which is just it's fucking fantastic. So be perfect. Um, back just to the guy real quick and 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 what he actually does. It is a boutique personal injury law firm that's been around since the 80s and just gets people results while making you feel comfortable through this. Like being in an accident like that when you've been injured is horrible. And I understand, having been through it, that no amount of money changes the fact that you you feel shitty. But what you shouldn't have with that is more stress 
with the lawsuit. And Kornblau is going to take away that stress. He's got, he's not. You don't even have to go to the office. They have offices all over the Delaware Valley. But you're going to get an Adam Kornblau right in your living room if you want one, if you don't want to go to the office. If you need a personal injury lawyer, this guy is for you. Um, like I said, all sorts of bodily injury. If you think you might have a case, don't wonder about it. Just ask him. He'll tell you. It doesn't cost you anything. Give him a call or shoot him an email, uh, 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam or email Cornblow at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Cornblow spelled with a K. The and is spelled A-N-D. And the rest, Mike. It's up to you. Up to you. Adam Cornblow, the official lawyer of the process. All right, let's call Derek of theathletic.com. Let's call Derek. Derek Bodner of theathletic.com, where you can subscribe for 25% off at theathletic.com slash RTRS. Derek wow. is in Los Angeles for the All-Star Game festivities. Uh, Derek, where is your deep dive on last night's Rising Stars game? <laughs> there was no chance I was writing about that game, which is funny because I'm out here to cover the event. But really, I'm out here to cover Joel and Ben and and Dario. Uh, no, I didn't. 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 There was no chance there was going to be a deep dive. Sorry. I'll tell you what, though. I'll get Mike on it. That that's why you hire young kids out of college to make them do stuff like that. Oh, Michael Connor is going to do the deep dive? Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. That's not, that sounds fair. Breaking down defense of that game would be really fun. <laughs> yeah. Can you make him do this? Because I enjoy the coverage on the athletics so much, and I do enjoy Michael Connor. I've said before he makes me feel smarter about basketball because I understand it better. And no shade at anybody else, but, like, he does it even better for me than, like, like, Zach Lowe is obviously very smart and does a good job, but he loses me sometimes, and O'Connor writes in a way that um, I don't get lost. So, But please make him write about that game as if it were the seventh game of the finals, <laughs> is what I'm requesting. So, yeah. uh, real quick—oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I had nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing important to say, for sure. So, bef- before we get to the— um, the fault stuff, which we want to ask you about. And uh, you obviously, and, and Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice wrote um, individual, um, like sort of, uh, I think, expository in different ways pieces on the, the fault situation this week. Heartwarming stuff. Yeah, really heartwarming stuff. Being uh, out there for Embiid, um, it, like Simmons and Dario to a lesser extent, but Embiid participating in in events all three nights. I actually, while I was thinking about it this morning, because I, I don't, as a, a longtime Embiid watcher now, I don't love that he's doing things all three nights because I'm generally nervous. We were talking about that earlier on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But it must be pretty, I mean, you're around him all the time. He must think, like, this must be pretty special to him after all he's gone through to considering just being healthy enough to be able to do this. Um, it just, do you get the sense that it means a lot to him to be able to participate in these things? Like after all the bluster and goofiness that he does. Oh, for sure. I mean, and you say he's doing things all three nights, but what, what is he really doing today? Like dribbling a basketball and throwing it through a, through a, a hoop on the ground. I don't even remember cause I haven't watched this damn event in years. Um, he's really has these last two nights off. Uh, but you, I mean, you mentioned that he's a little stoic when you met him at the Super Bowl. And that's kind of the way he carries himself, his facial expressions. When you get him talking about basketball and talking about being around the team and, and talking about these kind of events, 
you definitely see him open up. This is a, a very big deal for him. He definitely wanted to be voted in as a starter. He definitely wanted to be here. Because remember, even last year, you know, even though he got um, would have been in the Rising Stars game, he was injured. So this is really his first chance to really soak it up, uh, enjoy the spotlight on the national stage, not for a game, but for the world's brightest stars. He, he definitely enjoys this moment for sure. That's I mean, cool. the the thought that I just keep going back to the fact that Steph Curry picked him to be on his team. Right. You know, like, I, I mean, it's it's pretty unbelievable that we're going to see, you know, starting on the same court will be Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and, um, you know, Joel Embiid. I don't yeah. know. It's pretty I mean, crazy. Just think about how far everything's come in the last, what, 17 months maybe like 17 months ago Joel Embiid hadn't played a game of basketball Dario Saric hadn't played a game of basketball hadn't come over yet still hasn't come over yet and for everything to go like the way it has with Embiid being a top 10 player in the game an all-star starter uh, to be healthy playing back-to-backs Dario Saric to make that jump that he has and Ben Simmons playing at an all-star level just even just taking a step back and looking at how this has all progressed over the last 17 months it's it's pretty crazy it, Maybe wish it could have gone back and, and started progressing maybe 22 months ago and wonder how history would have played out then. But it, it's all come together quickly. Mm-hmm. Pivoting from that. Oh, boy. You wrote an article <laughs> about a certain rookie who's played four games. That hasn't come together yet. Forgot one of, uh, one of his most integral skills that made him a consensus number one pick. Uh, because we're about feelings on this podcast first and foremost how do you i know you're trying to be mr journalist man uh publicly but how are you how do you first of all how do you feel about it and how do you feel for markel because of it yeah i mean that is that is the least fun i've ever had working on a story and that's the kind of story that you kind of spend months on um Kyle comes out with his, and, and maybe the scope of my story changes it a little bit. But you you spent months trying to dig into the whole situation, and there wasn't a, a single point during that process that you enjoyed it at all. Like things like that, things like the Joel Embiid meniscus tear, things like what happened to Okafor in his rookie year. That's that's not why I got into this. Um, I got into it because I I I love basketball and I love talking about basketball. Mike, are you there? Yeah. I don't hear anything. Uh, I'm here. Hello. Oh, Derek's no. talking. Spike, I'm, sorry, I'm here. I didn't we're, having hear a nice conver- just- we're having a nice conversation. All of a sudden, Spike wants to know if I'm there. If okay. if that ever happens, I blame it on me because my my Wi-Fi here is the worst in the world. But uh, as we'll I was just saying, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my uh, this isn't that kind of story. Isn't why I got into this business at all. Uh, and as much as we want to try to pin it on a person, on a group, on an individual, like this has to be the hardest part of Markel's at least basketball life that he's ever gone through. And for a kid who basketball is, you know, pretty much the most important thing in his life for a long time now, this has to be extremely difficult for him. It's, I don't think anybody in, in any angle of this story is enjoying themselves. But by the same token, there are fans out there who want to know what's going on. And if I have information for them, it's kind of my job, but it's, not, it's just not the part of the job that you enjoy doing. Well, I think one of the interesting things at this point is – Regardless of why all of this happened, because you you said you can assign blame to this guy, that guy, nobody had this intention, right? Obviously, I don't think anybody was particularly negligent 
you know, when I no. look at it, regardless of what happened, whether injury, not injury, Keith Williams, not Keith Williams. But where it is now is almost like for you unreportable in that what do you even say? And then you almost worry that do you ever worry that your reporting can affect him? You know, I and I, I, I know you you probably don't think about that otherwise because you're in uh, because that could always happen. But because this is so has become the focus of it has become mental, the story and the focus of it has become about his, uh, you know, has become about Keith Williams, who he's so close to. And because he's so young, do you worry that reporting on it could affect him negatively? So you worry about it. Or at least you're cognizant cognizant of it. Like you don't want, like I said, he's a 19 year old kid. Everyone you talk to raves about his worth work ethic. Says he's a really good guy, a really good teammate. And you realize that that what you're about to write is probably going to make his life more difficult. Even going back to Keith Williams, you know this is his livelihood. Like, do I want to make his life more difficult by reporting on this? No, I I don't really. And like you said, I don't think necessarily Keith Williams was negligent in what he was doing. People alter their shot pretty frequently like you go Jason Tatum altered his shot and he was the best shooter in the league for a long time so for whatever reason what they were trying just didn't click and maybe they were working on that a little too late into the offseason and maybe that's where a, a big mistake came but I don't necessarily want to make anybody's life more difficult and you are cognizant of that but by the same token you can't let that influence your reporting like by the same token the fact that pretty much everyone on his team seems like a real stand-up guy they they do what they need to do with the media they're they're friendly towards us there you never hear anything negative about them off the court if you then let that seep into your reporting and you're unwilling to criticize them because they're nice to you because they're nice guys by the same token you know you can't then not report the negative stuff just because you know you're afraid of the impact so it's it's a tough spot at the end of the day my job is to get the fans information and to make sure i do that in a diligent and fair manner but you can't, as much as the emotional side might creep into it, and you say, look, it's going to make Markel's life difficult. It's going to make Keith's life more difficult. It's going to make the Sixers' life a little more difficult because they have to manage that relationship between, between player and long-term, long-term mentor. As much as you're cognizant of that, it can't, you know, I still have to w- report the facts, and especially the facts that the fans care about and that are impacting their enjoyment of the team. The Weirdly, doing that and sort of tailoring your reporting based on how you feel about a certain guy or feel about your job or something. Uh, it was our criticism uh, back when you were writing for a little site called LibertyBallers.com <laughs> of the uh, beat writers and reporters who didn't think the Sixers tanking was a good idea and were shitting on Hinky for years. You don't have to comment on that. I can, <laughs> but I will. Uh, so, like, do you know, in, in talking a little bit with Keith Williams, do you know what specifically – he, he identified, because you say in this article that he worked with Durant and Marcus Thornton and DeMarcus Cousins, all uh, with uh, DC ties. Um, do you know what specifically he identified in Fultz's shot that he tried to correct and Fultz tried to correct that was either overcorrected or, or just never quite clicked? Yeah, well, so one of the things I, I made sure to mention in my article is that, by and large, he denied making major changes to his shot. Uh, he did say that they, they worked on shortening up the dip at the beginning of the shooting motion a little bit. Uh, but other than that, he denied making any major alterations. 
But you talk to people who saw the workouts both before the draft and after the draft, people who talk to them, and you talk to people who, you know, Markell at one point. So you, you watch what they were doing. You talk to them about their goals in the offseason. And based on the people who saw these workouts, you get, okay, well, there's the quickness of the release, the dip in the shot, um, the set point. He kind of had to gather on the left side of his body, which – uh, had a, then a set point when he started a shooting motion over to the left as well, whereas most right-handed shooters are, are to the right of their body. Um, you get all these kind of things that you can visually see based on the changes and the workouts he's going through in the summer. And then you talk to him, and Brett Brown mentioned the set point before the season. Markel mentioned that he has to get better off the catch and quick and shortening up his motion. He mentioned that at the beginning of the season. So you kind of look at, take all that information together, and that's what I got out of it. But again, it was something where uh, the trainer Williams denied anything other than the um, than the dip in the, at the beginning of his shot. One of the other things that came from your uh, came from your article was, and I, I thought actually the the most notable of anything that was in there was when this started, and um, you uh, you said that. He, according to your sources, which I respect, Derek, I respect your sources, that he started working on on the shot <clears throat> before the draft. You know, like so. Um, so this goes back further, and the general consensus, or what we had guessed beforehand, was that well, the shot looked like looked like it was going down in summer league, so it must have happened between then and now. But it looks like it was going back f- further than that, and. Uh, that said, you know, it's funny, you look back on his workout with the Sixers, and everyone pretty much said, I missed all his shots in the workout. But at the time, we were like, it doesn't matter. It's just a formality. Who cares? Um, it's it with with the the glasses that we have on it now. And with the, the, uh, the information that you presented, is that a mistake that they made? not digging in deeper and not noticing it when his workout was bad. Yeah. I mean, I made, I made that exact same comment um, that nobody cares about how he's shooting right now. I will say when I talk to people for the, first of all, you go back to summer league and his form was different. Like it was clearly out in front of his body, less dip. You could, you could see the the beginning stages of the changes. And when I talked to people before the draft, that was kind of the shooting motion he was working on moving towards at that time. It wasn't the drastically changed shot that we saw when, when uh, training camp started. So I think that was kind of like phase one. And then August and early September was phase two. And I don't think anybody at that time, and I talked to pretty much every team he worked out for. I talked to people who saw him work out outside of those team workouts Nobody had any idea it would get to this point. Uh, it was certainly like, you know, these are small alterations. Maybe we agree with them, maybe not. Whatever, whatever, wherever he is now, we can get him back to where he was. That's not an issue. So, no, I don't think you should have had a major red flag unless they would have expi- explicitly at that time given any indication that they would have continued that progress to where it ended up being later in the summer. It was... You know, like I said, you could see the change in the summer league, but I don't. nobody had any expectations this would be the outcome. You said you talked to every team that he worked out for. Obviously, the Celtics are one of those teams. Do you get the impression that if the jump shot had not changed from college, that the Celtics would not have made that pick swap trade? No. This was uh, no indication this had any impact on their decision. I mean, they, 
I mean, even looking back on it, it's fun to, if you're a Celtics fan, you would love to believe that that's true. But the reality is, is they, they wanted to compete this year, and you don't compete this year with a rookie point guard, right? And um, given the fact that Kyrie Irving was being shopped around that time anyway, you would have to imagine maybe they didn't know that that trade could happen, but they had to know that it was it was out there. Yeah, no, and and and, and I mean, he he killed it. Like you, we all saw he struggled to shoot in the Sixers workout. He killed it in the Lakers workout. They were they were really impressed by by how well he played in that and how well he shot the ball in that too. Why do you get the impression that I mean, obviously, uh, quickening the release and uh, shortening the dip are important uh, developments to to have as you as you extend your range as you d- deal with quicker NBA defenders. But why do you think that resulted in? holding the ball out so far in front of him. That's the that's the weirdest thing of the shot that I can't quite wrap my head around. Yeah, and this is this is a part where without Keith Williams talking about extensively what they did, I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to. Um you know, I think maybe at one point it, it's kind of like the form shooting drills we saw at the beginning of uh at the beginning of January or middle of January when Fultz came out and he was shooting three foot shots with the guide hand removed. You wonder if maybe they were trying to kind of build the base at the top of the motion and get that per- per- perfected and then work down throughout the entirety of the motion. That's that's entirely speculation. I don't know. I don't know how it got to that point in uh in, in August. It's it, it's a great un- unanswered question for sure. Does Embiid know any white guys? <laughs> He's got two real good good shooters on his team uh, that he could certainly, you know, make, let's let's compile a YouTube video of Bellinelli and and Redick and maybe that'll help. You know, uh, wait, what was I going to just ask you? Oh, the uh, Deadspin did an interview with Herb McGee about it, and he said from watching the tape that it looks to him, and this goes back to the, you know. I don't think any of us believe that the shoulder, if there was a shoulder injury, that it was the cause of this. He said, but he said, looking at that, it looks like somebody going up to shoot, but knowing that if they get to a certain point, it's going to hurt and trying to adjust for that. And, uh, you know, I, I remarked that his, his form at, you know, in summer league on the free throws looked like, or even in the beginning of the season, looked like Rashawn Holmes a little bit, who sort of pushes it from his chest too. Um, so I don't know. You almost wonder if there was a little soreness in the shoulder, you know, whatever that was, and it exacerbated whatever problem was going on there, you know, and now it's, it's whatever it's Derek. Is it, how is this even possible? (laughs) What the fuck is is going on? Uh, so I, you know, you've been asked this a million times and we're all just guessing at this point, but I would imagine you're guess would be that he doesn't play this season yeah that would be my guess and, and going back to your point like there's kind of two two things like did he try to change the shot over the summer and that's kind of what i addressed in that that article and talking to people like i said before the draft talking to people who saw his workouts in the summer league they all say there was a very concerted effort to make mechanical changes like he was being shown new mechanics on his jump shot but the question then becomes well how in the hell like what, what what's happened since mid-september when he joined the team to get to this point, like, was there then shoulder soreness? Could that memory of that that soreness be impacting his inability to get back to where it was? That's That, to me, is still a, a very much an unanswered question. Something even with Kyle and, and my report, we don't have a full answer to. And that's really the next step to be figured out, you know, what's been happening in that time frame and, and why is it taking so long? Will he play this year? I don't... I, I, 
I mean, I thought early December, I thought he was a couple of weeks away. Early January, I thought it was almost imminent. So am I going to have a good guess now? No, I'm not. Like, my guess is going to suck. But based on the lack of progress over the last month, I will say I'm not very optimistic. Like, I thought Zach Rosenblatt took some videos um, Wednesday, I believe it was, of turnaround jumpers that were just outside, just beyond the free throw line, which looked marginally uh, optimistic. But mm-hmm. that is really the first sense of optimism we've had in, in really a month. So do I feel like the progress is being made where it makes sense? You know, because basically you have to get him back within the next couple of weeks, or it just doesn't make sense from a team perspective to put him back out on the court. Do I think that's going to happen? No, I, I, I'm not confident. Would it be your uh, preference to just announce right now that, that hey, we're going to shut him down and that's it? I mean, I think that's the most realistic announcement to make. My question always comes back to the player and is the chance that he might play maybe something that's keeping him focused. Uh, not that he wouldn't put in the work otherwise, but is it is it helping matters a little bit? That might be the, the, the main reason I wouldn't announce it now, but I do think it would, uh, you know, I do think getting him away from the media, getting him away from video cameras would probably be good for him right now, and that, that's probably the way I would go. Do you know what specifically, aside from what's publicly known and what can be seen in the videos when they're, when they're breaking the shot down and asking him to do the one-handed shots and all that stuff, do you know what the Sixers are doing with him both on the court, on the practice court, and off the court, whether it's talking to people, bringing people in. I know uh, uh, Muhammad Al- or Mahmoud Abdul Rauf is yep. was was with him for a little bit. Um, is do to what extent do you know how much the Sixers are are having him sit down with people of of different professions or even whatever? Yeah, it's a great question. I do not have anything that hasn't been reported on that front. Uh, and right now, the Sixers seem like they're kind of in shutdown mode in terms of Markel information and, and giving any more of that out. Um, not, I, I mean, even on the record, like Brett Brown the other day spoke that he he thought it would be best not to talk about Markel anymore. I do not have anything that hasn't been reported on that front, but it's a, it's a great question. I'd love to know exactly what they're doing, both form-wise, both in terms of talking to people, but it is one of the many still unanswered mysteries. And what is what is the most frustrating part to you about because the Sixers to some extent the Sixers have gotten a ton of shit for this right uh, because of years of poor communication uh, when dealing with players with injury and otherwise uh, whether it's Bynum or I, I guess there wasn't many issues with Nerlens but then some Embiid stuff some meniscus stuff across the board um, in this situation. Uh, where do you think the Sixers have gone wrong um, in how they've presented information dating back to, you know, September, October before the season started to where they are now with Colangelo coming out? And I think trying to be honest, but having there already been so much sort of uh, conflicting reports from the team itself over over that stretch of time. Yeah, I mean, I think probably their biggest misstep is the optimism they showed between you know mid-September and early January, like both in, in, in forms of expressing optimism privately and also in the public press releases they sent out. And I think that put a microscope on, under Markel. I think then putting him out in front of the media and having him shoot in public put a microscope under Markel when clearly now in retrospect, he wasn't ready for that. Not necessarily that he's not mentally ready for that, that pressure, but he just wasn't far enough along in his return, his return to play program where that was necessary. And I think... This has been, on their end, probably exceptionally frustrating as well because they have no idea the timeline of it. They have no idea how long it's going to take 
and keeping a guy out when he's been cleared is tough to do on their their part. Um, but I think I think th- their biggest mistake is conveying a lot of a uh, lot of optimism months ago that probably looking back on it wasn't a wasn't wasn't was was misplaced, and I think that put a lot of pressure on everybody involved. Spike, I got one more. Yep. Knowing what you know now, not not necessarily about the other guys uh, in the draft <laughs> class, whether yeah. you know Tatum's jump shot being very good and uh, looking serviceable on defense and Don, Donovan Mitchell being as good as I predicted he would be. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and Dennis Smith being Dennis Smith. Uh, if I, if I would have told you, Hey, Markel is going to miss pretty much the whole season because he changed his jump shot and suffered shoulder pain. Let's say that that kept him out of the season and basically be where we are now with the hope that he gets it back and is the same guy that we thought he'd be coming out of college. Do you make the pick swap trade to move up from three to one? So this is, is one of those things like Embiid where you kind of, in our heads, you say, well, we have no idea what to expect, but really it's, it's two outcomes. There's, he's going to be a top 10 player in the NBA or he's never going to be healthy. And there's that's really, Embiid, that's Embiid you're talking about. Yes. Correct. Correct. And there's almost no middle ground. I feel a similar way about Fultz. Where not that he's going to be a top 10 player, but he's either going to be an all-star and get this all figured out and get his jump shot back, or he's going to be below starter level and never figure this out. I'm not sure there's really much of a middle ground in between that because in order to be a starter level, he's going to need to get that jump shot back to a large degree. And at that point, he's, he's going to have the same kind of upside that we all saw before the draft. Um, would I make that pick swap trade? When you add in, I I can sit here and make an argument that you should draft him number one. I can I can do that based on upside. I have mm-hmm. no idea what the probability of that is, but I know the upside is still there. But giving up that extra pick, no, I probably at this point would not be willing to give up that extra pick to get him, um, just because there's so much unknown and that chance of him not reaching that upside is. Probably higher than it was before the draft, but certainly far more known than it was before the draft. And that is a, you know, you're looking at, at giving up probably a top five pick in 2019 now of the Kings pick, and that's a that's a big price to pay. That's a big price. It, it there is a world where I, I could see him becoming like an Alfred Payton type player if he never fully gets yeah. the jumper back, but still kind of does, which is obviously not great. That you mean give it away for a second round pick? Like yeah, pretty much. You know I. I don't think that there's any. Obviously, there 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 is more than one answer. But g- given what we know now, I don't. I don't. You can't. You. I mean, you. I don't think you can make that trade. You know, and that and that is with the consideration that this might all be fine. And but even the, to even just forget about the drafts and the options you had in the draft. But think about the trades that you could have done having that extra pick right. to then go out and search for. It's it, it. It would be a tough sell for sure. Well, they could have traded for Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's the 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 quite the pretty simple thing. And then going into this offseason, now I think you could argue that the Lakers can put together a better package for a star and the Celtics can put together a better package for a star than we can, especially if you say we're not trading Simmons or Embiid, which I think we would all say. Um, you've, you've now put them in position because even if Fultz figures it out, I think at this point he's a he's an asset that isn't worth very much until until he's able to show that so um 
Derek, before we let you go, we're going to do our commercial for The Athletic with you on the podcast. <laughs> All right. How, how do you like that? How do you, well, you know, we, uh, so The Athletic launched six months ago. We were talking about it the other day. The uh, just premium sports coverage that you have to pay for, but you pay very little as a, um, as a consumer with our discount, you're paying $3.74 a month at theathletic.com slash RTRS. How has, so you went from doing beat writing as a side job to doing it for yourself when you had the, when your nickname, the paywall came into, uh, into fashion. And now with the athletic, pretty much how, asking, how the, pretty much asking people to giving people CDs and asking them to pay for it. Yeah. Um, how has the experience been for you, and uh, what do you think of The Athletic so far? Have you been pleased with the product? What's it been like working for him? I mean, it's it's everything you could dream for as a sports fan, to be honest. it's um, I've had so much flexibility in going out and hiring the guys that I wanted. Uh, you know, when I decided I wanted to hire Mike, for instance, I think he had about 250 Twitter followers, and most places would have been like, why in the heck would you hire a guy straight out of college who had no following at all, and it's because I, like, you could clearly see that he could add something that no other outlet covering the team has. And to be getting that kind of flexibility to bring in Mike, to bring in uh, Rich, to be the third, easily the third best writer on the, on the staff, like to have that kind of flexibility and, oh, by the way, to be able to chase your dream and, and cover a sport and not really work a day in your life, it's been incredible. And I think the, s- the success of the site, I obviously can't, speak towards the numbers, but we, we reached our 12-month goal within the first five months, which is incredible. The support from the fans have been incredible, and the support from you guys has been a huge part of that, so thank you. Well, Derek, I, I think... Um I think I can speak for everyone when I say that like the coverage has been awesome. Uh, the Eagles coverage was awesome throughout the year too with, uh, with Bo and Shiel. But um, here's, here's the mission. I know this isn't your job, but please get the fucking game report cards on the desktop site. Like, that's all I'm saying. Just I love the app. I mostly read it out of the app. But like the fact that I, I think it's a great product and I love what you guys are doing. But the fact that I can't see the fucking report cards on desktop drives me berserk. Please get it fixed. I, I, I will submit that suggestion up the chain. Fill out a ticket. Fill out a ticket. <laughs> uh, all right. Derek Bodner at The Athletic. Uh, at Derek Bodner NBA, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Derek. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you, Thank you buddy. Uh, let's see. How do we get rid of Derek? All right. Uh, well, thanks to Derek, obviously, of The Athletic, theathletic.com. So there were what some, do we there have were here? some straight-up real interview questions in there. I felt like a I know. real yeah. I was actually really – I was really impressed by you. I was like – toward the end – I was like, all right, I've asked all I've got. And you were like, I have a few more questions. And I was like, oh, he's going to ask him about his underwear or something. And uh, <laughs> My classic underwear question. Here it comes again. <laughs> uh, all right, here's what we got. We got uh, Bellinelli, Rookie of the Year. Um, I definitely have to mention Reply All at some point. I don't know yeah, if you're yeah, a Reply yeah. All listener. but I We'll talk about it. Let's, let's do Bellinelli first because you're you were down on the signing. No, uh, no, no. Not down on the signing. You are. You say um, he sucks. Well, he does suck. Here's I think, here's what I think, I'm trying. I think you are. I think you are too black and white with these guys. I think with this kind of stuff. That's my no. my, my take is that you're. Too, I I love being black and white in terms of does a team have it or do they not have it? Do they have enough superstars to le- legitimately grow into a contender or not? 
Um, but we do. The Sixers do. And any little piece, however small or however, whatever, makes a difference. And this kind of shooting around these kind of guys makes a difference. Here's, here's what I was doing. Here's what I made the mistake of doing. I will, I will call a, not a mulligan, but let me, let me explain what I did and then what it, what it became. And I think I wasn't trying to be black and white, but it appeared that way. And then when I got pushback, I just I stayed on that side. Sure. The initial reaction, like, I think a lot of times guys like Bellinelli, because we, we never watch them, um, are like super – let's look at Amir Johnson for a second, or even let's take the first 20 games of, of J.J. In our minds, when we sign them, we're like, Amir Johnson, this is going to be great, great locker room guy. We'll come in and bang around. Um, J.J. Reddick, good shooter. Everything's wonderful. And then you watch him for 20 games, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Um, even though Amir Johnson has been valuable, like a lot of people like can't stand watching him. And all of a sudden you realize that guys are seventh and eighth guys, not, not Reddick to the same extent, but guys are seventh, and eighth, seventh guys and eighth guys and not star players because they're, they're not as good as, as you thought they were. Like a lot of players are better than until you watch them all the time. And like, there was two reactions. The reaction was like treating Bellinelli as if he were Reddick. Um, which was the first reaction, just in general. It's like, oh my God, we finally got another shooter, and now we don't have to play Bayless anymore. And in my head, I'm like, well, he does a lot of the fucking stupid things that Bayless does. Like, I, I can't say I've watched a ton of Bellinelli, but like, he can drive you crazy in the same ways. And when you look at his, you know, everybody, well, he's a much better shooter than Jared Bayless. I'm like, well, not really. He's sort of the exact same shooter as Bayless. And then there was your fucking tweet, like, um, well, I guess players aren't going to come for us now. And like all of a sudden, right. acting like as if it was like LeBron signing with us or something. Um, like we proved everybody wrong by, uh, by uh, Bellinelli signing here. So I was just sort of like, like, whoa, boy, let's slow down to everybody. And it became, I th- and when I say he sucks, like that's me just going, you know, to your point where I'm being black and white, either they're good or they're not good. And he's like, he's like, not good. Um, on a really good team, he could be helpful at times when he's hot. And there are moments where he will be helpful. But but do beware that there will be moments where you're going to want to throw him out the fucking window. And I, that's that's all I want to say. I just want to ask, guess. if that's all the case, then why would you treat Alshon Bellinelli? <laughs> it seems like you're just... Uh, trying to blame people. No, I don't think uh, I don't think he's the best player in the world. I think I think I think a bunch of things. One, Jared Bayless is better than he's been playing. Like this is his worst year of his career by a lot. And whether it's because And still shooting thirty seven percent from three, by the way. Bellin, yeah. Like Bayless. And yeah. whether it's whether it's because he's uh just doesn't fit on the team or can't get into a rhythm or the Sixers are asking him to be just a catch and shoot guy and his career, he's been more of a Lou Williams type player. Uh or it just doesn't fit, or his, his wrist still hurts, or whatever it is. He, he's he's better than he's playing right now. I never liked the signing. The, it, it always felt like one year too many, and then he got hurt in the first year, and so it was uh, aggravating that way. But the 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 fact is he's he's not good right now, even though he should be better. If like I could see, I could easily see Bayless having a bounce back season next year if they trade him or if he stays. Um, but they they did need to improve bench shooting. Like you, there were too many lineups with Amir and Trevor Booker and TJ where it was like guys that can't 
shoot unless they have, you know, an ocean of space. So getting Bellinelli in here and being like, hey, you're going to be bench Redick uh, and just run around screens and cut off the ball and be, you know, he's, he's only gotten good. Of course he takes shitty shots. All, all gunners take shitty shots occasionally. Um, but the, being like another, you know, they had the 15th roster spot open. They were keeping it open for a possible trade. That trade never materialized. They didn't make a drastic move at the deadline. They kept all the second rounders. And then in buyout season, Bellinelli has choices to go to Minnesota, Oklahoma City, or San Antonio, or here. And the fact that he comes here, and obviously we had, uh, the Sixers had a ton of minutes, to, or a good chunk of minutes and, and shots right. to offer that maybe the other teams didn't. But him wanting to come play for this team means something. Like, even, right. even if it's not, no, he's not Paul George, but I, I do take from this signing that the Sixers are... People look. You look around the league, and team teams and other players were like, "Oh, I like what they're doing there. I want to play with those guys. Uh, they seem like they're having fun. They seem like they play play the right way." Brett Brown seems like a coach that I want to play for. Um, the fact that Bellinelli played for Pop and won a won a title there, like gives me gives me more um, confidence that there was like you know Brett knows him enough and knew that it could work out or just. I mean, it's I. I do I think that this is going to make a huge difference um, in getting a free agent next year or like winning a round this year? Probably not. But I think the the uh, when this is our first time next year going into free agency um, since and like really trying to make a, a a splash in free agency since Elton Brand came here and. And even even that El- Elton contract was after he played like what eight games because he towards Achilles or ACL the year before. So there hasn't been exactly a ton of guys that are just de- dying to come to Philly. Um, and so I, I, not to say that Bellinelli is like a, like a harbinger of, of great things to come, but between him and, and the Trevor Booker trade and JJ, even though he gave him a trillion dollars and Amir Johnson, I think those kinds of veterans that, uh, our star level, let's just say Paul George. I don't think it's going to be Paul George, but let's just use him as an example. That wouldn't normally come to a team that's like too young or not quite ready. I think we'll see see guys choosing to come to Philly and enjoying themselves here and getting opportunities here and being treated well here. And that might make a 2% difference in what they decide to do. I think uh, there is a lot of truth to that, though I, I believe it as a... There, there's... Here, you'll take the rosy look at it, and I'm gonna take the um, like uh, irritated Brian Colangelo uh, triggered guy look at it. And the truth sure. is certainly in between. There's definitely a lot of truth in what you said. I look at the acquisitions that Colangelo has made since he got here, and it is Sergio Rodriguez, Jared Bayless, Ersan Ilyasova, um, uh, JJ Redick. Amir Johnson, Trevor Booker, Marco Bellinelli, Henderson. and the two picks for faults. And like, like that is a looking at that on paper with no disrespect to any of the players and understanding their relative value at some points, knowing that some <coughs> of them were, were overpays. Like that is a, a group of players and a group of acquisitions that over two years, if we had looked at a couple of years ago, you know, before all this started, I, I would have been sickened by. And 
all of this just keeps it just is another like okay fine whatever um move to me though though it was a a positive move and i don't begrudge him for making it yeah like, it, it cost the them exactly I, no, it cost them nothing it right, was a, but, it was but a buyout I, for the minimum but that's what i keep saying about every move is like well it it didn't ruin their their cap flexibility it's like well it was a you know it was a non-negative move like well and all i i i will just say this and sort of leave it there is that if you continue to make these like it's hard to look around the league and find general managers that you think are good general managers whose resume looks like this, who are like one year overpays, like all this. The good ones are the guys who get the undervalued guy at the league minimum or on three years at a way undervalued, a way low price, right? Like all of this just keeps pointing to the fact that if if you're going to keep saying, not you, but you in like the general sense, are going to keep saying that the cap flexibility for this summer is like what was most important. Don't spend assets on blah, 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 the cap flexibility. You better fucking do something, buddy, because going into next year, if there is no significant addition onto this team and you're just like, well, let's let's play for 2019 then, and you go one-year deal all over the place again, I think is like is negligent and bad at this point. Like you, I, I don't think you can do this for two years in a row as you're – your your big plan to just not do anything and yeah, that's, I, mean, I, that, I, I hear you i hear you in, in the sense that they need to that they're certainly setting themselves up to be we're making a big splash this summer we're making a big splash this summer and if we kings out and end up with you know to some extent you know jj reddick again for three years at a smaller deal to, so he can retire here and you know somebody else amir johnson s or literally marco bellinelli <laughs> or bellinelli uh <laughs> yeah. Just to then kings the, out. Then, I mean. that, then that will be uh, disappointing and, and and somewhat of an indictment on them. But even if they even if they say, okay, we didn't get the guy this year, we're just going to sign a guy to another one year deal or something like that. I I do re- I do respect the idea that they're like, hey, we're not just going to you know limp into a four year contract to Rudy Gay or something like that. Like we're we're going to wait for what? the right guy to come around. And I I don't think they're being. This is the second year of Embiid's career. This is the first year of Simmons's career. Fultz didn't play. Like, we know that the table is set for a while. They re-signed Covington to a great deal. They re-signed Embiid to, uh, you know, as much of a deal as you can. He probably won't make first-team All-NBA. We'll talk about that later. Um, but the, the the pieces are set, and I don't I don't mind them sort of continuing to, like, circle the prey without, you know, making an, uh, an irresponsible move to – get the wrong guy. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Like I, 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 yeah, I, I guess, I guess in, in, in any situation, like the Sixers certainly have enough young guy. I, I obviously would have loved them to take more second round picks last year. There's guys in the second round that I wanted and that they didn't, and that are succeeding and that the Sixers traded away because they said they didn't need it. Um, and I disagree with those moves for sure. But I think you can look at most teams in the league with superstars and before they make the move that they get the next superstar, whether it's, Paul George or James Harden or Chris Paul or Kyrie Irving. And there's guys that that's just like, Oh, that's like a fine guy. That's like a fine. So you, I think you could do what I totally hear your point about looking, looking at the guys Colangelo is signed and to be like, look at these guys. None of them are making a difference in the future. But I think the Sixers are 30 and 25. They might win around this year. 
Embiid is happy. Simmons is playing well and happy. The the vibe around the team is good. And that kind of stuff matters a little bit. And it, it doesn't matter if the Sixers had no athletes or no superstars. It wouldn't have mattered if Andre Godala and Thaddeus Young were the best players in this team. But because we have those guys, it, it I give them much more rope to be like locker room guy, veteran, show them to play the right way, keep everything together, uh, just a guy that's a specialist. Those kinds of things are, are so much more forgivable for me. That's why I'm acting this way. Not because I've, I've turned face on Colangelo and I love everything he's done because I love making fun of that guy. It's so much fun to do. But just because like the Sixers are so well set up that I want them to be as guarded as possible with, with every move that they make um, because once you lock into the wrong guy, it's so hard to get out of it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So I'm, I, I, I agree with you that they better they better make a move that they that gets them the guy, because that that's what they're setting themselves up as. But I don't see a real al- good alternatives aside from making those second round picks that I wanted. Uh, that would have made this different. I'm 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 anti veteran in general, like as a as a blanket statement. But for this team in these moments, I'm I'm I really have been fine with it. I would say that um, I think the the outlook as good as Embiid is and as good as Simmons is, if if the Fultz thing ends up being a zero, is is a r- enormous problem, and not that he, not that they made the move. I'm not saying that, but <clears throat> that the the assets that they use to get the move when you need like a third guy, um, with you know like for a team to have when when you look at how the teams who are loading up are loading up, like you have to be every every potential star counts or every star counts or every major asset counts. And I think that will be a real enormous um, problem if, if he doesn't play. Yeah. It would suck. And I I, I have a hard time blaming them for that because it's the weirdest thing that's ever happened. I really do because I wanted him and I think he's great. And I think he will be great if he figures it out, but it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to like unload and be like, you should have known. Um, when it, well, not not you should have known, happened. but but it just goes into asset management. I'm not. I don't want to. We, we I don't want to belabor this I know, anymore. I know, I know. But, but I, know, I, but I the, think the idea the idea that the Sixers. I, I hear your point. If if Fultz is yeah. if Fultz is a, a zero, then they um they they really need to find a way to get that third guy somehow, whether it's in free agency yeah. or trade or something like that. But they will. They currently have the tenth pick in the draft and the seventeenth uh, pick in the draft. That's that's if if there's a guy at six or seven or something like that or five that they really want, they can package those up and move up and get that and that get that guy and that could be that third guy, or the Lakers get worse this year and it goes to the Celtics and we get the Kings pick next year at like two. So there's a lot of there's still a lot of flexibility. I wouldn't say that that they mortgage the future to to trade for Fultz, even though it was certainly a big trade and they they, they did move a lot and, and lost an asset that they that they could have included in a trade they still have enough where if they really wanted to get that guy they could go hey 17 10 and you know i don't know fucking Korkmaz or something and be like we're gonna get to four and get uh let's say let's say they think it's marvin bagley and they go get marvin bagley or let's say they think any of those guys you don't know any of them yet but th- there's there's still enough flexibility to where they're not locked in right Okay, before we get to the reply all stuff and and finish up the pod, we have to talk about our, uh, I would say, we love all our sponsors, but the sponsor who is deepest into our heart, that is 
L.L. Pavorsky and L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Like, look, how could he not be deepest in our heart as his business, Mike, is love? I mean, that's right. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers is taking love and put it, it, putting it in a physical representation, a, a non-alive, a uh, what's the, what, what is non-alive? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, dead. Anyway, he's, he sells <laughs> dead. He sells he sells jewelry and engagement rings, but he doesn't just sell them to you. He uh, he's not just standing there saying, "Hey, come buy this ring if you want to buy this ring." No, 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 no. LL Pavorsky Jewelers is going to handhold you through the uh, the experience of buying an engagement ring. He has done it for seventy. Writes to Ricky Sanchez listeners so far, seventy have bought engagement rings from LL Pavorsky. It's an unbelievable thing that he's done. Hey, look, we're almost at spring. Spring is engagement time. You know, that's when they the, you know, your pictures outside, your engagement photos are going to look great. If you've been putting it off, LL is the guy. You already know he's the guy. Come on, people come ac- from across the country, across the world. I saw an Australian at the uh, the appearance with TJ that said he was going to go visit LL. He was wow. here with his. Uh, yeah, he was here with his, he had brought his uh, fiance. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. They had just got married. They were on their honeymoon. He took her to Philadelphia to watch Sixers game. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, but they were amazing. They were going to go see LL. He's just the best. He can get, it doesn't matter what your price range is. Um, if you think it, you don't have enough money, you're wrong. If you think you have too much money, uh, that's a weird thing to think, but you're also wrong. Um, before you buy an engagement ring from LL, Get in touch with him so you can make an appointment so he can have everything ready for you. Call him at 215-627-2252. You can go to llpavorsky.com and email him. You could just visit at 707 Walnut or hit him up on Twitter at llpavorsky. Make sure you tell him to listen that you listen to the podcast so, um, so you get even more free chocolates when you visit. And for every show, LL makes a generous donation to Justice Rescue and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence in the name of the podcast. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Imagine enjoying a ring in another jewelry store. <laughs> I can't. It's a riff off the, off the pin tweet. We'll talk about the off pin tweet, tweet next time because I got, I got stuff to say about that. Um, ben Simmons not being an all-star and Donovan Mitchell uh, – uh, gaining steam in the rookie of the year race. Your thoughts? Uh, look, I, I'll say this about the rookie of the year thing. Mm-hmm. This happens with the number one pick in the draft sometimes yes. when it's a no doubt, and it happens with a rookie of the year sometimes when it's mm-hmm. no doubt. Donovan Mitchell has been fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And the fact that Utah's won 10 in a row, absolutely great. He's not been a better rookie than Ben Simmons. He just hasn't. Um, and I guess the only thing you could say about Simmons is that he clearly hasn't played enough games to be rookie of the year. Um, <laughs> if he could have played uh, 15 or 20 more games, uh, I think maybe if only. he'd right. But like, I hate to counting stats it, but like outside of points and by the way, he's not even that far behind in points. Uh, ben Simmons is the rookie of the year. Uh, I know it doesn't matter, but it matters to us as we've, proven unless it doesn't go our way and then it doesn't matter but i think ben simmons is pretty clearly rookie of the year i have a take okay you will recall my integral role in keeping ben simmons off the all-star team yes i some some say or most say that you were most important in keeping him off the all-star team thank you to you and them yep, yep. he didn't make the all-star team and he will go this offseason and 
work on his jump jump shot until his hands bleed. But if he doesn't become rookie of the year, he might become the best shooter in the league. So it is with that in mind. Oh, boy. That I announce my support behind rookie of the year Donovan Mitchell, the successor to Malcolm Brogdon, as a way to continue to frustrate Sixers and their fans and take the Sixers to the next level. Embiid wasn't rookie of the year last year. Neither was Dario. And look how much better they got this year. Malcolm Brogdon's hurt. And his grandfather died. And he's too scared to face us. So I want Donovan Mitchell, who I have loved and will continue to love forever, to be the rookie of the year so Ben Simmons can take the disrespect, put on an underdog mask, and shoot a trillion shots this offseason. So he comes back next year as good and as improved as Dario and Joel have been this season. Wow. Wow. What a take. That is pretty spicy, Mike, I have to say. That's right. Uh, but I, I, I feel good about it. it. I came upon it in the moment. I, didn't, I hadn't planned on it. I think, I think it surged within me, almost like I was loading up for a Donovan Mitchell-esque dunk. It feels it, good. T- terribly on brand, I think. Um, <laughs> great for you in every way, you know, with Mitchell winning the Rookie of the Year and yeah. you keeping Simmons off of not from winning Rookie of the Year. Yep. Um, it's, it's so on brand at, for the Sixers, too, because Nerlens should have won Rookie of the Year over Andrew Wiggins. Yep. Yep. Uh, MCW won it the year before, and fine. Uh, Okafor should not have won it. Let's no. just say that. Um, but Embiid should have won it, and... Now, Simmons should win it, but I hope he doesn't. Speaking of Rookie of the Year, the T-shirt, the commemorative T-shirt for Bust the Process 3 has been, design has been released. Uh, thank you to Tanner at She Steak Tees for every time I give him a design idea, he does the design, and then there's 700 more emails from me about making it a little bit different, and he deals with all of them. The uh, the T-shirt is unbelievable, I, in my opinion. It is a takeoff of Metallica's And Justice for All album. Um, has the rights to Ricky Sanchez in the Metallica font. You can see it on the uh, rights to Ricky Sanchez Twitter or Instagram. A lot of people have asked about making that T-shirt available for sale after Bust the Process 3. And my thought is, if we do it as a charity thing, I'd be up for it. I don't like putting players on it if we're going to make any money off the t-shirt sure, but um if we can come up with a, a special Embiid charity then I, th- I think we could put them up for sale but for good. now they are a reward for those who are going on bust the process three which is now less than two weeks away which wow. is pretty awesome um i want to talk about reply all just a quick plug for dennis smith and donovan mitchell both in the dunk contest that's me and you yeah uh yeah. and spencer dinwiddie also one of mine in the uh skills challenge with Embiid. Actually, I put I put money on uh, Spencer Dimity to win tonight. So. Oh, you bet! You actually bet? I actually bet. That's we're good. Wow. I believe in him. I love him. I'm happy. I think Dennis Smith can definitely win the dunk contest tonight. He's the right size. All that stuff. Yeah, I put a little um, money on Oladipo. I think he was he had the worst odds, and I thought that that he definitely can win it also. But yeah. Wasn't he in it before though? I think years ago. But I think yeah. He's mm-hmm. he's certainly gotten more athletic and and 
uh, slimmed down and stuff. Let's talk about Reply All, and then I got to go. All right. Reply All is a, uh, a podcast that I really, really enjoy. It is a podcast about the internet. I think that's what they say. It is about way more than that. Like, uh, it's a really, really great, funny podcast that I enjoy. So they had an episode this week that Trust the Process was in the subject line. And just to give people a little bit of background, occasionally on Reply All, they do a bit called Yes, Yes, No. And that's when their boss, Alex Goldman, who is a who is like not quite as internet savvy as everyone else, comes up with a tweet that is so meme-filled that he can't understand it. Like he just doesn't get the tweet. And they explain the backstory and get him to where he understands the tweet. So this time, because the other guys don't understand sports, he came with a sports tweet that they wouldn't understand so he could have it explained to them. And it was... Embiid retweeting Sam Hinkie's tweet about the Astros with the Sports Illustrated cover um, and putting, like, he died for our sins in the tweet. So they brought on a guy who, I don't even want to say his name. He, um, they br- first of all, they didn't say the name of our podcast, which is infuriating. Um, we're a podcast. You should say the name of our podcast. That's the first thing. Second thing, they bring on a guy from NPR to explain it to them, who's also a Sixers fan. So what's going through my head is, oh, well, this guy must have like a nuanced, smart take about the process. But no, he's one of these, they lost on purpose and they didn't think that maybe somebody would get hurt, dumb fucks, who explain it like a moron. So he comes on and he's just basically like, so they lost on purpose for draft picks and like, what if the draft pick gets hurt? And then Embiid started playing and he shocked everyone and was really, really good. As if, like, like they drafted him sight unseen or something. I only think... I don't blame the two guys who, were, who had this explained to them on the podcast. But I do blame the gentleman who brought on the NPR guy. And I think for a podcast that is generally really smart and for people who I think are smart, they explain the process in a horrifyingly dumb way. And I was very disappointed in it. I will say uh, there's no way that we would have been happy unless well, true. You, you or I was on it. Right. Um, even if fucking Derek was on it, I'd be like, Derek! No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but seriously. they. It's not for us, you know? I didn't listen to it because I knew it would make me mad. Uh, it's not for us, but people, multiple people reached out to me that are not basketball fans or Sixers fans saying like, oh, I get it now. I get why you are the way you are and why you've been talking about this hinky guy for so long. And I think that that's what it was for. And I don't think it was for well, us. And I, uh, I didn't listen and I would never listen. Well, I will say, obviously, there is a lot of overlap because I did get a lot of tweets about it. Maybe it's because I've mentioned Reply All before, but I think we have a similar, similar-ish audience. Yeah, I think um, they, could have, they certainly could have been from what I'm hearing, better about it. They could have gotten a guy that explains yeah. it better. But no matter what, unless it was us, like, seriously, if, if someone was like, okay, explain the process, you have, how, how long was the podcast? Like an hour? Uh, well, they only had him on for like 20 minutes. Okay. Well, if they said 20 minutes, you explain the process. It wouldn't be enough time. I need 16 hours. I need to set up context. I need to go through move by move. I need to show game tape. I need to talk Mike. about how long it took for... Brett Brown to get hired that one summer that Charles Barkley was so mad that they didn't have a coach in late July. I need to do Mike, all that. 
Mike, Gimlet is a very big podcast company with a lot of resources. And if that's what it called for, then they should have done 16 hours. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, All right. Five had, in a row. 30 and five 25. Embiid's healthy. Fultz is dead. Embiid has a illness that we don't know about yet. That everything, is likely everything, terminal. Everything's, everything's mostly great. The yeah. Eagles won the Super Bowl. And uh, I had a meeting at Xfinity Live yesterday with Anthony, and we are the, – the lottery uh, – here's what I'll say. Lottery party details are being uh, firmed up, and tickets will be available in March. We are uh, – we're trying to find out a date. I think if everything happens that we think is going to happen, you listening to this podcast will be very happy with the lottery party this year. This so. is very exciting. All right, cool. Very exciting. Enjoy, right. the, uh, enjoy the skills challenge tonight. Uh, yes. Hopefully, Embiid doesn't get hurt tomorrow. That that did you did you watch Embiid's play in the Rising Stars game? We didn't talk about the Rising Stars game yeah. at all. Yep. Yeah. I mean that the 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 uh, pump fake at the top of the three point line into spin into yep. dunk thing unreal was fucking unbelievable. It was just a yeah. nice taste. I'm glad he played very little. It was just a nice little taste. Here he is. Dario played well. Simmons had a couple of nice plays. I love that even in the even in the Rising Stars game, Simmons still like throws a shoulder into some guy and gets a big dunk. Yep. That was very like. Yep. This is just how he is, and it's always how it's going to be, and I, I, I respect it. I love that we're all Team World guys, too. Oh, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we had three starters. That's awesome. Um, that's all I got. Uh, that's it. You got to go. Are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know look face. We are the murderers there. That with the jail, and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Uppers and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile to